Love Congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, the other day when I was preparing for this sermon, I was looking up some cartoons, and I came across a, a drawing of President Trump. In the cartoon, he was beating up Prime Minister Justin Trudeau. At the bottom was a one-liner sentence. It was rather, it wasn't very complimentary at all. Maybe somebody, some, some, something funny to some people, but not to others. Now, the reason I bring this up because is when it comes to cartoons, you only know what is meant by them if you, in this case, knew who President Trump was. You'd need to know who Prime Minister Trudeau was, and you'd also have to be up to date on the news. If you showed this kind of a cartoon to somebody living up in, up in the mountains in Papua New Guinea somewhere, these people would likely have no idea at all what this thing means. The joke would be lost on them. They wouldn't even know who the two people in the picture are. So for cartoons to work, you have to know more than what the actual picture shows. You have to know the background. You have to know the characters involved. You have to have a whole lot more information to get it. Otherwise, it's, it's just meaningless. You won't get the inner message. Well, in the Bible, we don't have cartoons, thankfully, but we have something that works kind of like them. We have word pictures. We, we call them parables. They're kind of a verbal cartoon because they're word stories with an inner message. And to understand these parables, you have to know something about where and how and, and to who these parables are being told. We need, in other words, a fair amount of additional background information to get the inner message. And as you know, parables were a favorite way that Jesus used for teaching his people. Many of his hearers didn't understand what he was talking about, and, and also that was part of his idea as well. His, his parables were really kind of a, a code message, if you will, for, for his believers. And for, for the unbelievers, well, they, they heard the same story, but, but, but they, didn't, they didn't get it. Parables were a way for Jesus to invite his people to dig below the surface for, a, for the real meaning. And at the same time, there were other people who would just turn a blind eye and a, and a deaf ear to everything, to everything that he was saying. So let that not be the case for us here this morning. If we, if we want to be true believers, true followers of Jesus Christ, then we have to listen so very, very carefully to everything that he tells us. Not only do we have to listen very carefully, we have to put it into practice as well. So today we're going to look at a one-liner parable. Some, some commentators call it a metaphor. We're going to take it as a parable. Matthew 5, verse 13, it says, Jesus' words, you are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Our theme this morning is Jesus compares his people to salt. Some things to note about parables before we dive into this one is that, that parables are really difficult teachings in several ways. Sometimes it's because they're just plain hard to understand. For us, we're, we're removed 
from the everyday life of Israel by some, some 2,000 years. We, we can't relate to them. We can't relate to that time, to the, even the things they did, their farming methods, their struggles to live. How about, how about child mortality? Uh, their short lifespan. How about the threat of war, the oppression by the Romans? There were many, many things going on in their lives that we don't know. Their world was very different. They had no technology. They had no phones. Can you believe it? No phones, no computers, no transportation even, no, no cars, no trains, paved roads. It's a problem for us, isn't it, to see things through their eyes. That's why they're difficult teachings. But there's another reason they're difficult teachings. It's because of the message that they contain, these parables contain. Parables uncover things in our life. We just as soon keep buried. Parables get us back down to the basics. They show us our hypocrisy. They show us our, our failures, our, our sins, our, our bad attitudes. If you're like me, well, we, we don't like that a whole lot, do we? Parables uncover things in our life that, that we would rather stayed buried. It's much easier to shrug it all off, isn't it? We'll say, well, that was then. Those were parables 2,000 years ago. That was then. This doesn't apply to me now. And really, if that's your attitude, really you're saying to Jesus, what do you know anyway? That's a very dangerous and a very foolish, sinful thing to do. So we do well brothers and sisters, to apply ourselves here, to pay attention. Jesus is talking to us here, and he has something very, very important to tell us. Now, this, this same verse, Matthew 5, 13, is, is also something that's found in Luke and also in Mark. And so we have three inspired gospel writers, three out of four, saying exactly the same thing or something very close to it. And we remember that repetition in the Bible means that it's extra important, you could say, so pay close extra attention. God is saying something more than once to us. The Holy Spirit knows human nature better than we do, and He's in effect saying, don't pass this by lightly. It's very important. So be learning this. Not only that, be doing this. And so we find very similar language in Luke Chapter 14, let me read it to you. Verse 34, it says, salt is good, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's of no use either for the soil or for the manure pile. It's to, it is thrown away. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Well, that's, that's Luke chapter 14. Now in Mark, Mark chapter 9, it says, for everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if the salt has lost its saltiness, how will you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. So there you have it. And what do we make of this? What do we do with this? Well, first of all, we can deal with how the Bible speaks about salt. The Bible talks about salt in both a negative and in a positive way. The negative use of salt includes sowing salt in people's fields, the fields of your enemies, so that little or, or nothing will grow there. 
It's kind of a revenge thing. Keep your enemies from growing crops to feed themselves or from getting rich from the fruit of the land. Keep them under subjection. And of course, you know that there's something called the salt sea, as it's referred to in the Bible. Today, we call it the Dead Sea, and that's for a reason. It's almost nine times more salty than the average ocean, and basically nothing lives in it. There's no fish, there's no aquatic animals or plants there. So that's negative use, and a negative use of salt is, is where, remember, the Bible tells us about Lot's wife. She's turned into a pillar of salt when she looks back at the destruction behind them of Sodom and Gomorrah. And then lastly, and very negatively, Moses warns the people, Deuteronomy chapter 9, verse 6, that if they are stubborn and stray from God, the land will be afflicted. He says, the whole land is brimstone, salt and burning. It's not sown, nor does it bear, nor does any grass grow there, like the overthrow of Sodom and Gomorrah, Admah and Zebuim, which the Lord overthrew in his anger and his wrath. In other words, very, very negative usage of salt. God will make the land a barren place of burning sulfur and salt, which is basically hell on earth. Well, there's the negative. There's also the positive use for salt. Israel used it in the recipe for anointing oil. It's a very special oil for the anointing of kings. And, and salt was used to spice up offerings to God. Salt was even used, maybe you know that, to rub down newborn babies. And remember that the prophet Elisha, we'll talk about him this afternoon, he used a bowl of salt to heal the well waters of Jericho. We also know, don't we, from science that our bodies require some salt to remain healthy. A low or a, a no-salt diet is going to lead to a heart attack or stroke. And before the age of refrigeration, salt was a preservative for many foods and for meat. And we know, basically, that salt is used to flavor food. We still use it for that today. Just ask your child, three-year-old, have lunch this afternoon, take out the salt shaker. They want some too. They want some too. Salt is a very basic, everyday thing. And the thing is, where Jesus is taking us is that salt influences our food. It makes it more tasty, more attractive, or more palatable. And here we have Jesus saying, you are the salt of the earth. That's you. You, who, who? Well, you, his servants, that's who he's talking to. You, his disciples, you, that's who you are. You are the salt. In other words, that's, that's your condition. You, you don't need to ask to be salt. You are salt. And Jesus is saying this right after the Beatitudes. We read them, the nine blessed are you kind of statements. These are after he's identified the ones who are of his kingdom. It's, it's, this is being spoken by the king to his, to his subjects. If you count yourself among the blessed, then you are the salt, the salt of the earth. In other words, it's a, a condition of discipleship. It's not a choice. It's, it's not a, I can take this or leave it kind of thing. No, you're the salt. And it's not that we, that we dry up the place, which 
too much salt could do, but you, like salt, preserves, th preserves things. You're, you're, you're the flavor. You are the, the seasoning of the world. You, like salt, you, you prevent decay. You delay deterioration. One commentator says it this way. He says, and I quote, salt acts secretly. We know it combats decay, though we cannot see it perform its task. Its influence is very real nonetheless. You are the salt. As, as salt, as the church, as Christians, we, we perform a, a certain task, and that, that certain task includes sin restraint. Did you know that? Sin restraint in a wicked and evil world, not all the time, but noticeably. A common thing might be a Christian who enters in a, into a room, there's many unbelievers in it, and there's a whole lot of swearing and cursing going on. All of a sudden, it, it stops for a couple minutes while he or she is there. Or as salt, we have some influence, even, even if it's small, on the laws of the land. It's an ongoing thing for us right now, isn't it? Preventing greater wickedness and evil, and, and much of that is unseen. We can't even perhaps tell that there's a difference. But like salt, it's, it's doing something secretly, working behind the scenes, and, and without that salty influence, without that salty believer, well, things would be different. They would be much worse. So what, what can be said to be good in society, we as salt try to keep good. And what is corrupt in society, we oppose. Somebody once said that Christians are like a moral antiseptic in the world. A moral antiseptic. Ever thought of yourself that way? Antiseptic is used to prevent growth of disease and infection. A good example for us maybe is of the kind of salt are the pro-life warriors who, who brave insult and even injury to bring the gospel message of the right to life for the unborn. It's a small, maybe a disheartening work. The results may be almost negligible. And still lives are being saved. And, and praise God for that work. Or, or how about the speaking out against euthanasia? Change, if it only changes one mind, it's already something. Or how about the work done by our friends in speaking out in a Christian way to government on behalf of Christian education? Think of it this way. Christian education is a way to salt our children. That's what's happening next door here. Our children are being salted to keep this going in the next generation. Connected to, to this is, is an aspect of what we're going to call salty language. Christian salty language. The Apostle Paul tells the Colossian church, Colossians 4 verse 6, let your speech always be gracious, and here it comes, seasoned with salt so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Salty language. In, in this sense, it's a language that, like salt, it, it makes things more interesting. It's the opposite, really, of, of boring, of, of flat or bland. 
Not only are you salt in deed, but you're salt in word as well. Let your, let your words prevent corruption like salt does. Or let it be thought-provoking and wise. That, that kind of talk is not a waste of time like a lot of speech can be. You see, salty speech is attractive. Salty speech is edifying. It's distinctively Christian. He doesn't say you are salt to anybody else. No, he says it to his people. Distinctively Christian. Paul, Paul tells the Ephesian church, we're not, to call, we're not called to, to foolish talk nor to coarse language. Proverbs chapter 8, verse 6 says, Listen, for I will speak of excellent things, and from the opening of my lips will come right things, for my mouth will speak truth. Wickedness is an abomination to my lips. That's salty language. You are the salt of the earth, Jesus says. And then he goes on and he warns about salt that's lost its flavor. It's maybe a little bit more difficult for us to understand. So we go back to those days. Salt was, was manufactured, it was produced by the dehydration of, of salty water. Drying the water would form salt crystals as well as all kinds of other mineral deposits that are in the water as well. That kind of salt had, had, had many impurities in it. There, were, there was alkaline, gypsum, other, other kinds of things that you really don't, can't use. The kind of stuff that you get when you clean out your coffee maker, when you descale it. Their salt is not like our sodium chloride purified types of salt that we have today. Their salt could go bad. It could go stale. And if it did, well, what do you do with it? What do you do now? It doesn't perform its function anymore. It tastes terrible. Nobody will eat it. It's not good for anything, Jesus says. It's good for nothing in every sense of the word. Jesus here is pointing us to this real and ever-present danger that we lose that saltiness. And no, we're not dealing here with the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints, but we're dealing here with degeneration and the falling away, the rejection of Christ, or the, the, the covenant breaking that occurs in the church, in His people. That was happening to the Jews in His day. They were, they were Israel. They were the church of his generation. And yet he tells them, remember, he tells them, you're sons of the devil, he says to them. That's where salt has lost its flavor. I ask you, how many, how many church-going folk are there now? They, we do all the right things. We tow every line. You know, I'm a faithful church member. Don't you forget it. I'm always there, and I know the rules, and I'm following them carefully, and I'm pretty good in that department. I'm a fine, upstanding church citizen. I ask you, where's the salt? Where's the salt? Is there salt? Do you flavor your surroundings with the Lord Jesus Christ? Are you preserving some tiny part of His kingdom as a faithful soldier in His huge army? older folks here, just ask any one of the older folks that have been lifelong members, we know we can name them almost by name, the ones that are no longer in church. They were baptized, they were catechized, maybe they even did profession of faith. Over the years, they, they drifted away. They're nowhere to be found today. 
nowhere near a Christian church. They've lost their flavor. And you can tell who these people are. You know how to tell how these people, who these people are? Ask them a very simple question. The question is this. Who is Jesus Christ to you? Ask yourself that question later on, maybe at lunchtime. Write down your answer. I'll give you part of the answer. The saltless ones are the ones that, that, that hum and they haw because it's an unfrust, un, 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 uncomfortable question. How, who are you? I don't care if you're a pastor. Who are you to ask me that question anyway? My, my testimony is very private, you know. And I ask you, how private? So nobody knows? I ask you, does Jesus know? Because you, when, when you love someone with all your heart, it shows. It puts a spring in your step. It bubbles out from every core and pore. It, it asks the question, you know, ask this question of someone who loves Jesus, and the answer is easy. It's, it bursts out. I love him. I serve him. He's my master. He's my Lord. He's my all in all. He's my shepherd, my guardian and king. He's, and, and they go on and on and on. You almost have to tone it down, would you, a minute? They're full of him, and it's wonderful. That's how it's to be. That's salt. And Jesus says salt without flavor is useless. And we ask ourselves, you must ask yourself, how's my saltiness? I'm asking you, how's, how's your saltiness? How's, how's your salty talk? Is our, is our walk, is our talk, is it, is it salty? Can you say, my Christian walk, praise God, is flavoring my surroundings by, by spreading some holiness around His holiness. And there's less sin going on when I'm around. And there's a witness of Jesus Christ who is the Savior of the world. And I have a testimony that goes past that. It's a testimony of integrity, of grace, of kind-heartedness, sincerity, loving, kindness. That's salting the world. And how is that going in the church? private and personal world is one thing. How about the church? How about with fellow believers, the brothers and sisters with whom we are in Jesus Christ? A profound, profound thing to be in Jesus Christ. Well, I'm salt there too. I'm old and I'm stimulating and I'm inspiring the younger generations. Or I'm younger and I'm motivating and even teaching the older generation. I'm to be found working hard in the church and in God's kingdom. Because why? Not because I have to. It's because I, I love the Lord Jesus Christ with my whole heart. And as a consequence, I love his people too. I'm reforming and I'm looking for reformation in those around me. I'm encouraging and influencing and flavoring. I'm, I'm putting my spiritual back into the work called the kingdom of God. Is that you? me? Can that be said? Will that be said about me when I'm gone? How about, about you? Because remember, Jesus says, you are the salt. That's you. That's me. So are we striving for this? Are you doing that personally? Are we doing it corporately? Or 
is no one noticing. Because, you know what? There is no flavor. We're flat. We're passionless. We're apathetic. That is, saltless. The flavor's gone. Maybe it was never there in the first place. So ask God for that life-preserving salt that only He can give. And then you can say with the psalmist, Psalm 40, you have multiplied, O Lord my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts towards us. None can compare with you. And then this, I will proclaim and tell of them, yet they are more than can be told. I ask you, is there anything or anyone more interesting in this world than Jesus Christ. Be his salt in the world. Or get dumped. Or get dumped. That's where it goes. That's where tasteless salt ends up. Jesus says it gets thrown out, trampled underfoot. It, remi it reminds me of, you've seen the film perhaps, the man who's in prison and he was digging a tunnel out and every day he would fill his pockets up with dirt the sand, and then he would walk around the prison yard, slowly spreading it out through a hole in his pocket, down his pant leg, and the dirt just kind of blends in with the rest of the dirt. Nobody notices. It's never to be found again. It's trampled underfoot by the rest of the prisoners. It just becomes dust with, with all the other dust, dirt with all the other dirt, thrown out, gone, never to be found again. The other version of this text, the gospel writer Luke, I read it earlier, he has Jesus saying that it's of no use either for the soil or for the manure pile. Tasteless salt is not good for soil. It won't help anything grow. Just ask any farmer that. And even a manure pile you can spread over the field and it will do some good. But not this stuff. It's useless. It's like a dead branch on the vine. It's cut off. It's thrown into the fire. You see, a general, a general in the army has no use for soldiers that can't be found training, honing their skills. Instead, they're, they're in bed all day, and they whoop it up at night. Useless soldiers like that are disciplined in the very least. They're given a dishonorable discharge which is completely deserved. They're kicked out of the revolution that is the kingdom of God. They don't share in the victory, the prize, the inheritance, none of it. Nothing for them. They're thrown out. They're dumped. But thank but thanks be to God. But thanks be to God that he continues to raise up salty people. He continues to do that. And to be salty is an enormous task, and he preserves them. And he loves a salty church. And he gives us his Holy Spirit. It's the power of Christ that works in his people. And we say, we say, not by my strength, Father, Lord, but by your power. It's all you. You see, it's because of the church that the world hasn't perished yet. It's because of the church and her salt that his judgment is stayed until now. It's his sin-restraining hand 
And the question for us is not, will I get to heaven someday? No, the question is, am I assaulting life here on earth today? Am I assaulting life here on earth today? Let me end by telling you something that happened. As I was finishing this sermon, I was editing the other day. A good friend of mine sent me a Bible text on my phone, and he does that, he does that every morning. It's part of his devotions. For a couple of years already, every day there's a new Bible verse. He sends this to, I don't know, scores of people. And as I'm editing this sermon, and it's up on my screen on my computer, he sends me this text, Matthew 5, 13, this, this very text. Exactly the same verse that's right up there. Sermon's finished, done. It's amazing how the Lord works. One of his salty servants picked a text from more than 8,000 in the Bible, and he sends it to me. Do you suppose that's coincidence? Not at all. Not at all. Everything has a purpose, even when we don't know what that purpose is. And I'm hopeful the Lord will tell me someday what his purpose was. I look forward to that. That's just one way to be salty, this friend of mine. Maybe that's something you should try. Send a, a Bible text to all your friends. Invite them. And do it every day. Do it for a year. See what kind of blessing the Lord pours out of you, on you because of it. Consider ways to be salty in this world, in His world. Be a salty blessing. Be a salty Christian. Be a salty warrior. Be intentional, faithful to the head of the church to Jesus Christ. Because I ask you, does he have your heart? Pray that he will make you a salty Christian in a dying world. That he will use the salt he's given you for that purpose. And that us, as a salty church, too, that we may be that in the world. Flavoring, informing, changing, preserving. Go to God. Go to Jesus. Get your marching orders. That he will give you everything you need to do your part as his kingdom come, as his will be done, and that you will be found faithful in his sight. Let your prayer be, Lord, use me as your salt in whichever way you choose for your glory. Amen. take out our hymn section of the book, or we go to the hymn section of our book, to hymn 81, we will sing the first stanza, second stanza, one, two, five, and six, hymn 81, rising to sing. <laughs>